The time is 12 o'clock. Here are your daily highlights. War Part 2 rages in Island Showdown. And like a lily in a flower shop, says the new queen. Plus, an Indian boy called Pathan has just got a hat trick. He fell off his bicycle three times in a row. Plus, coming up, our regular chat with Britain's most depressing gnome. Those are the headlines. No time for lap dancing around here. News bang. Cutting through the fog of misinformation with a machete of factuality. 13. 1943. 1943, and it's a dark day for the Imperial Japanese Navy as they sailed into one of their own battleships. The Battle of Rennell Island saw their buttocks well and truly kicked by the US Navy, who at this point were pretty much bored with winning. This was part of the Guadalcanal campaign, which sounded like an ad for underwear but was actually a bloody conflict in the Solomon Islands. And Thowship Sunflower was hit first, followed by Thunderclap, two vessels apparently named after rejected Pokemon moves. The carnage continued when aircraft carrier Squeaky Bum found itself under fire from US dive bombers, leaving her with a whole new meaning to its name. It came out of nowhere, said eyewitness Sipti Katsuhiro Yamamoto between sobs. There were bombs everywhere, mostly on US. In total 2,000, 400 men lost their lives in what historians are calling a right old ass-kicking, and that was just during tug-of-war practice. It would be another two years before Japan finally waved, not in celebration, the white flag, although it took them another six months to get it unstuck from Hawaii Harbor. 1891. In 1891, Lili Wakalani ascended the Hawaiian throne, becoming its last monarch and regnant queen. Her reign was short-lived due to an overthrow in 1893, not by angry subjects but by fashion police who objected to her extravagant use of apostrophes. The plucky royal didn't fret. Instead, she composed music and penned her autobiography during house arrest. The Hawaiian Kingdom had been established by Kamehameha the Great in 1795, no relation to the wrestler of similar name, but equally intimidating. Two dynastic families ruled this tropical paradise, the pineapples and the coconuts. Tensions mounted as Western powers eyed their fertile beaches and strategic cocktail umbrella resources. Lili Wakalani tried to maintain order amidst coups, counter-coups and limbo competitions until she finally abdicated under duress. The islands were annexed by America where they remain today, although recent calls for independence have surfaced under slogans like Aloha means goodbye to US rule. Eldum. 2006 Irfan Pathan of India has smashed the record for the most batsmen caught wearing their trousers over their heads in a T20 game. The former Indian cricketer known as the Turbinator to his friends and local dry cleaners propelled a ball at such velocity it passed through three sets of stumps before landing in a nearby sari shop. Eyewitnesses were left aghast. I've never seen anything like it, said bystander Anil Dotti. One minute I'm minding my own business and next thing you know there are testicles flying everywhere. Pathan's record-breaking hat-trick was achieved despite facing fierce competition from Keshav Maharaj who last week bowled underwear into an audience member's ice cream at Lord's Test Match. Experts believe this could be due to the new rule allowing players to apply Vaseline to their bowls prior to play. 
News Bang, the truth uncensored, uncut and unleashed. And now, Shakanaka Giles with your weather forecast for tomorrow, January 30th, 2024. For tomorrow, January 30th, 2024, the weather's not one to miss. Starting in the southeast, it'll be as crisp as a frosty winter morning, just like a glass of champagne, but without the bubbles. Moving over to the Midlands, there'll be scattered showers, not unlike a water balloon fight at a children's party. So keep those umbrellas handy. Now, onto Wales and the northwest. The sun will shine with all the warmth of a hot water bottle fresh from the microwave. Lastly, in Scotland and Northern Ireland, expect snowfall that would make Frosty the Snowman feel right at home. Wrap up warm and enjoy the winter wonderland. In summary then, Frosty bubbles, balloon fights and snowman dreams. Stay cosy and that's all the weather. In a momentous chapter of modern warfare, the Gulf War of 1991 unfolded as Iraqi forces invaded Kafji, Saudi Arabia, only to be swiftly repelled by a coalition of 42 nations led by the United States. The operation, aptly named Desert Storm, commenced in earnest following an extensive aerial bombardment campaign that concluded on February 23rd. The ground offensive into Kuwait and Iraq began in earnest culminating in the liberation of Kuwait on February 28th. This marked the end of Iraqi occupation and the dawn of a new era in Middle Eastern politics. And now we turn to our correspondent Brian Bastable for further analysis on this historic conflict. As I stand here in the midst of an all-consuming storm of bullets, smoke and sand, a single moment encapsulates this terrible battle, the image that will haunt me for the rest of my days. A soldier with no eyes stands on one leg. His comrades have strapped him to a makeshift crutch so he can fire his weapon into the face of the abyss that is about to swallow us whole. The year is 1991 and we are at war in this blasted wasteland known as Kafji. Our mission, to free Kuwait from Iraqi invaders. Suddenly, there's movement up ahead, shadows emerging from swirling clouds of smoke like demons conjured by black magic spells. And then it happens, an explosion shatters my eardrums and fragments fly through the air like metal raindrops falling from hell's sky. I hit the ground hard but manage to hold onto my microphone, our lifeline to sanity amidst chaos. All around me lies carnage, broken bodies entwined with smoldering wreckage. Soldiers screaming for mercy while others curse fate itself as they take their final breaths. But wait, what's this? A faint glimmer of hope pierces through the darkness. Coalition forces have arrived. They advance steadily towards us, weapons ready and hearts filled with courage. It seems victory might be ours after all. Inch by inch, we fight our way forward until finally, 
Liberation Day dawns upon us. The people celebrate in streets awash with tears and laughter while we reporters scramble frantically to capture every heartbeat before it fades away into history. This is Brian Bastable reporting live from the front lines of hell itself where humanity has been pushed beyond its limits but somehow manages to cling desperately onto hope against all odds. 2017. In a chilling act of violence, a lone gunman laid waste to the Islamic cultural center of Quebec City, leaving six souls forfeit and 19 more languishing in the throes of injury. The year 2017, the city, Quebec City, a home to 549,459 under the sway of a humid continental climate. As we grapple with the aftermath of this heinous crime, we turn to Ken Shit for further insight into the investigation and the community's response. Good evening, you twisted sons of bitches. I'm Ken Shit, and tonight we're going to talk about a tragedy that shook the very foundations of humanity. A lone gunman went on a rampage at a mosque in Quebec City, Canada, and he didn't give a flying fuck about the innocent lives he was destroying. This is 2017 people. We thought we had moved past this kind of bullshit. But nope, some fucking lunatic decided to open fire on worshippers at the Islamic Cultural Center of Quebec City. And for what? Because they were different? Because they believed in something he didn't understand? Six people lost their lives that night. Six families ripped apart by senseless violence. 19 others were injured, their lives forever changed by the actions of one twisted individual. And for what? For nothing. Absolutely fucking nothing. Quebec City has a population of over half a million people. And yet this horror happened there. In broad daylight, in front of God and everyone. It just goes to show that evil can strike anywhere, at any time. We need to stand together against this kind of hatred. We need to fight back against those who seek to divide us based on our beliefs or our backgrounds. We are all human beings, capable of love and compassion and kindness. Let's not let these acts of terror define us as a society. Let's rise above it all and show the world that we are stronger than fear. This is Ken Shit signing off for now. But remember, we will never be silenced by hate. 2009 in a landmark decision, Egypt's Supreme Constitutional Court has decreed that individuals who do not subscribe to one of the three state-sanctioned faiths can now procure government identity documents. This ruling challenging the religious stranglehold in Egypt could potentially redefine the socio-religious landscape of the nation. With Sunni Islam being the dominant religion and Christians alleging undercounting in censuses, this verdict addresses the long-standing grievances of marginalized communities such as Baha'is, atheists and agnostics. And for more on this groundbreaking decision and its implications for Egypt's religious minorities, we turn to our Hardiman Pesto. I'm here in Cairo, Martin, where there are scenes of jubilation among Egypt's Baha'i community following this landmark ruling. I have with me prominent Baha'i activist and molecular biologist Dr. Fakhri Towers. Dr. Towers, what does this decision mean for Egypt's Baha'is? Well, Hardiman, for too long, we Baha'is have been treated as second-class citizens in our own country, unable to obtain ID cards or access basic services. 
This ruling finally recognizes our right to exist as Egyptians. It's a triumph against religious discrimination. But many are questioning the figures, Dr. Towers. Current estimates put the Baha'i population at around 2,000. Can such a small minority really influence national policy? Those figures are absolutely inaccurate, Hardiman. Credible estimates place the Baha'i population at over 10 million nationwide. We are a major constituency that politicians ignore at their peril. This ruling proves that a motivated minority can bring about reform. 10 million, though, isn't that a bit high? That would make Baha'is the second largest religious group in Egypt. Why is that so surprising? Our message of unity and social justice resonates widely across all levels of society, and thanks to this verdict, we can finally participate fully in the political process. Any party that discounts the Baha'i vote does so at their own risk. Strong words from Dr. Fakhri Towers. Back to you in the studio, Martin. Pesto, you colossal buffoon. There are precisely 2,000 Baha'is in the whole damn country. And you let this joker claim there's 10 million without challenging him at all. Do you do any research before going on air? He spun you like a dreidel. I've got half a mind to drag you back here by the ear and make you read some bloody Wikipedia. This is supposed to be hard-hitting journalism, not a primary school debate club. Now shape up before I ship you off to cover the flower show in Penge. Egypt's Baha'is, my Aunt Fanny. More like Egypt's BS. For Newsbang, I'm Martin Bang, and that was apparently Hardiman Pesto. Newsbang. The truth is out there and we'll find it. Our man, Ryder Boff, takes a look at the time when cricket legend Irfan Pathan made history with a test cricket hat-trick. Tune in for a riveting account of skill, pace and swing that left batsmen looking like headless chickens. The year is 2006, and what a corker it was for cricket. Irfan Pathan of India, the man with a bowling arm more accurate than a Swiss watchmaker's screwdriver, took to the pitch. He made history by snagging a test cricket hat-trick in the opening over of a match. It was like watching an artist paint his masterpiece, except instead of paint, he used sheer pace and swing. There he goes, Pathan steaming in like the flying Scotsman on legs. The batsmen look as nervous as long-tailed cats in a room full of rocking chairs. And strike one! The bales fly off like confetti at a wedding. Strike two! The stumps are rattled again. They're dancing like they've heard Chubby Checkers twist for the first time. And would you believe it? Strike three, he's done it. A hat-trick that'll be talked about more than my Auntie Mabel's mystery meatloaf at family gatherings. Pathan wasn't just your average bowler. Oh no, he was an all-rounder. Could bat as well as he could bowl, making him handier than a pocket on a shirt. Let me tell you about hat-tricks. They're rarer than hen's teeth or indeed finding an honest politician. Only 46 times has this phenomenon graced test matches since Fred the Demon Spofforth did it back in 1879. And speaking of demons reminds me of my own encounter with one during my brief stint playing village cricket. There I was facing down devilish Derek Dobson who had eyes so fierce they could curdle milk from 20 paces. First ball, whizzed past my nose like an angry hornet. Second ball, Clip my ear. Still here ringing when it rains. Third ball hit me right in the... Let's just say I saw stars and needed ice in places I should never be. Fast forward to 2013 ICC Champions Trophy where our man Pathan showed his mettle once again. 
It's crunch time at the Champions Trophy, and there's Parthens striding out to bat like Caesar entering Rome, confident but wary of any senators with sharp knives. He played key roles in victories that were sweeter than treacle tart on Sunday afternoon. So hats off to Irfan Patton. May your legacy live longer than those trousers I bought which shrunk after one wash. Absolute travesty! That's all from me tonight. Join us next week when we'll dive into another historical sporting moment that will have you clinging onto your seats tighter than my ex-wife clung onto her alimony check. We now bring you the latest in transport news with a dash of fun and bovine-induced intrigue as Polly Beep guides us through this episode. Today's a real shocker for our Skyway flyers, especially those aboard SCAT Airlines Flight 760. The aircraft met its untimely demise in the heart of Kazakhstan, near the city of Almaty. It seems our airborne pals were navigating through thick fog when they had a rather unceremonious encounter with the ground. As we speak, rescue operations are underway. In other news, roads in the region are expected to experience heavy traffic as grievers flock to mourn their fallen air travellers. So if you're on the A361 near Hull, be prepared for a slow crawl due to an unexpected surge in funeral processions. Let's move on to some happy-go-lucky news. It appears our railway network is experiencing technical difficulties, or so we think. The B4479 between Almaty and Kokshetau has transformed into an enormous roller coaster overnight. Exciting news for thrill seekers. While no one has yet dared ride this freewheeling marvel, we've heard whispers of folks attempting to cycle up and down its slopes. Over on the M52 between Leeds and Manchester, traffic is said to be moving at a snail's pace due to a recent cow stowaway incident. No word yet on how Bessie managed to board without any valid tickets. In conclusion, let's take a moment of silence for our aviation brethren who perished in today's tragic crash near Almaty. May they rest eternally atop their favourite fluffy clouds, guiding lost travellers back home with their soft glow and gentle whispering winds. News Bang, a reality check for the masses. 1967. In a psychedelic swirl of counterculture and consciousness, the Mantra Rock Dance event unfurled in San Francisco, 1967. Swami Bhaktivedanta, Janis Joplin, The Grateful Dead, and Allen Ginsberg converged in an explosion of music and poetry. This gathering was no mere concert. It was a call to arms for the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, a fundraising extravaganza that would leave indelible marks on the cultural landscape. And from this groovy milieu in San Francisco, we turn now to reporter Smithsonian Moss for further insights into this tie-dyed tapestry of talent. Now at this point of the evening, we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us. Waho, Culture Vultures, it's Smithsonian Moss coming at you live from the grooviest, trippiest, most mind-bending bash of 67, the Mantra Rock Dance. Picture this, hate Ashbury's hippest hippies and the flower power elite all shimmying to the sacred chants of Swami Bhaktivedanta. It's like Woodstock's spiritual pregame, folks. 
And let's talk headliners. Janis Joplin, that raspy-voiced queen of rock, belting out tunes so raw you could slap them on a bun and call it a burger. She's wailing and the crowd's sailing on a sea of love, peace, and psychedelics. And then, the Grateful Dead, more like the Grateful Alive, am I right? They're noodling on their guitars, weaving a tapestry of sound that's got everyone in a trance deeper than my last Tinder date's philosophical musings on veganism. But wait, there's more. Allen Ginsberg, the bearded bard of the beat generation, is spitting verses so fiery, you'd think his tongue was a lighter at a candle vigil. The man's a walking, talking, poetry-spewing machine, and the crowd is eating it up like it's the last supper at a vegan commune. Now this isn't just any rock show, my peeps. This is a full-blown, incense-burning, sari-wearing, Krishna-praising extravaganza. The ISK Concats are out in force, peddling books, beads, and a side of enlightenment with every ticket sold. They're raising funds faster than a politician's pulse at a strip club. San Francisco, you groovy beast, you've done it again. The Mantra Rock Dance is a swirling, twirling, incense-scented love fest that's about as mainstream as a UFO convention. And we're here for it, because if you can't get down with a swami and a deadhead in the same night, then, honey, you're not living. That's it from me, Smithsonian Moss, your high priestess of pop culture, signing off. Remember, when in doubt, throw on some tie-dye and dance it out. News Bang, the only news source that doesn't lie but tells you it does. And so we've reached the end of tonight's News Bang. Just time for one final look at tomorrow's newspaper headlines. The Times lead with Viet Cong attack on Tet New Year. The Guardian have World War II prisoners finally set free by allies. There's a picture there of some prisoners jumping for joy. The mail go with British paratroopers massacre civil rights demonstrators in Northern Ireland. That sounds fun. While the Independent lead with US launch television satellite service amid sound and fury. And I notice they've a photo there of some dancing monkeys. That's all from me for this evening. Do remember to keep your mouths closed during the dark hours and try to maintain your composure as we enter another day of confusing signals from those people in charge. Good night. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night. <laughs>